Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic Sea Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zune, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of the Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. After decades of hard work, education, countless debates, and basically what amounts to a long scientific and legal battle that makes divorce court seem mild, the decision has been rendered. Today, the 27 members of the European Union voted in favor of a complete ban on three of the most commonly used neonicotinoids because of the dangers they pose to bees, pollinators, and wildlife. This marks the end of a battle that began in 1998 when the French beekeepers asked their government to ban neonicotinoids. On today's show, Tom and I are going to talk to bee health advocate and environmental author Graham White about this historic news and also review the history of this battle as well as how this decision will impact the world. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper Mr. Tom Theobald. Hello, Tom. Hello, June. We're enjoying some beautiful spring weather here and the dandelions are peaking. There are dandelions all over the place and for us, here in the West, that signifies the end of winter. Thanks, Tom. And now I'd like to welcome to the show our friend and fellow bee health advocate from Scotland, Mr. Graham White. Hello, Graham. Nice to speak to you again, June, and welcome from uh, sunny Scotland where it's freezing cold and we have snow forecast for the weekend. So global warming has struck again. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Now, the way that I would like to conduct this discussion, Graham, I'd like you to focus on what's happening in the EU, and Tom, I'd like you to contribute by talking about what's been going on with the beekeeping community and how this will impact American agriculture. Before we begin, Graham, can you take a couple of minutes to talk about the history of this whole long legal battle? Sure. As you may know, uh, neonicotinoids were invented around 1989 and the company Bayer acquired control of them in 1994 and they introduced them in France that year for use on sunflowers as a systemic insecticide. They didn't tell the beekeepers in France they were doing this, they just did it. And within weeks, the French beekeepers had lost one million bee colonies, which was a catastrophe for the honey industry and for individual families who had businesses to do with bees. So within about a year, the French beekeepers had worked out that there was this new pesticide called imidacloprid. They asked their own government to ban it, and they said, no, we've been lobbied by Bayer and we think it's okay So they then asked Europe to ban it, and they said the same thing. And so the beekeepers themselves had to do the science. They hired their own university professors. A man called Professor Bonmatin was the first one. And um, he was able to prove that Bayer was telling lies and that this 
pesticide not only killed bees, but it killed them at levels unimaginable in previous generations of pesticides. Just one or up to about five parts per billion in a sunflower nectar or pollen would kill bees. So what, what then happened was a, a long protracted battle between Bayer on the one side and the bee, French beekeepers on the other where the French beekeepers would produce one scientific paper that said these pesticides were killing bees and Bayer would produce another paper that said no they're not. That went on till 2000 when eventually the French government decided unilaterally to ban the neonicotinoids in France for use on flowers anyway. Uh, the rest of Europe did nothing, and uh, the same waves of bee deaths were then seen in Germany, Holland, Spain, uh, in Britain, uh, and then the, the, bee, the wave of bee deaths just carried on through Poland, Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, as it now is, and so on, and they, they started to appear in America where this stuff was being used there in 1998. So there was this long battle, and I think in total there have been well over 1,500 scientific papers published around the world by different universities, the overwhelming majority of which concluded that neonics were incredibly dangerous, that they killed bees, pollinators, butterflies, earthworms, and wildlife at incredibly low levels, and that they persisted in the environment for years and years and years. So um, what happened today was that... Uh, we, you have something called the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in America. Well, our equivalent is something called EFSA, which is the European Food Safety Agency, which looks after everything from food to pesticides to clean water and so on. And um, last year, EFSA was asked to conduct a review of all these thousands of scientific papers and sum them all up and come to a definitive decision about whether this stuff kills bees or not. Well, they delivered that report in February, and uh, what that report said was that there's absolutely no doubt scientifically whatsoever these neonicotinoids kill bees, earthworms, butterflies, beetles, everything, uh, at infinitesimally small doses. And so that decision was then handed down to the European Parliament and the European member states, there are 27 member states in Europe. That's, you know, Germany, France, Holland, Spain, Poland, Britain, and so on. We're all member states. And they had to vote on whether they accepted that scientific judgment. Well, today, 16 out of the 27 states, which is a 76% majority, voted to ban the neonicotinoids. If they hadn't agreed, the European Commission, which is the executive branch, like your presidency, they would have imposed the ban anyway. But it was nice from a democratic point of view that there was a two-thirds majority or more in favor of a ban. So that's it. Uh, all 27 countries in Europe have now banned neonicotinoids. They cannot be used in any outdoor application. They'll continue to be used in greenhouses, glasshouses, but they cannot be used on crops of oilseed, rape, canola, wheat, barley, potatoes, cabbages, whatever. It's over. Uh, and that raises an enormous, uh, it's an enormous victory for thousands and thousands of people and hundreds of organizations who've been working since 1994 to get this stuff banned. But, the, but it raises two 
important questions. What does that imply for America? Because America's had perfect access to all these science studies in the same time frame. And the second one is, you know, we, we should temper our feelings of victory with the, with the sobering truth that this stuff has been on the market for 25 years and it has killed billions, if not trillions, of bees, butterflies, birds, fish, frogs, and so on, across an entire continent in Europe and similarly across the entire continental United States and other parts of the world. So it is a victory, but it's, we have paid a terrible, terrible price for it. We shouldn't lose sight of that fact. I'd like to take a moment to share some of the tweets that have been sent out there by some of the folks involved with this battle. The first is from Dr. Hank Tanakis, and he tweeted, A ban on thiocloprid must follow. Leah Thiessen at the University of Berlin, now at Inner France, convincingly demonstrated its hazards to bees. Its effects are reinforced by exposure time, and there is no safe level of exposure. Mm. Do you think that thiocloprid will be next? Thiocloprid, in, in the hierarchy of the neonics, thiocloprid and um, acetamiprid come a long way down from imidacloprid, clofianidin, and thiamethoxam. They're about a tenth. I don't, I don't know the exact proportion, but... They're about a tenth as poisonous, uh, but they should all be banned. Absolutely. Um, the, the question, the, the fundamental question that this all reveals is we don't really have a proper pesticide regulation system and neither does America. This is the fourth, no, that's the fourth uh, example of the pesticide cycle. The first pesticide cycle was DDT, which everyone told us was safe and it was sold and used everywhere from 1945 up to about 1982, and it almost exterminated the bald eagle in America and hundreds of other species of birds, and it was finally banned, and the same scientists who'd said it was safe now said it was dangerous. And then we had the organochlorines like Dieldrin and Aldrin. They ran from about 1960 to about 1980 in exactly the same cycle. Every university said it was safe. All the regulators said it was safe. Then it was finally banned. Then they were replaced by the organophosphates, which ran through the 80s and 90s. I'm not exactly certain when they were phased out. I think it was around 2000, which were much, much more dangerous. They were based on nerve gases from World War II. And then the neonics were brought in in 94, and they've lasted until now, which is 25 years. So we've had four cycles of the pesticides, the poison cycle, and the pattern is exactly the same every time hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of public money are spent on funding agencies like the EPA and EFSA who tell us that uh, they've looked at all the studies the manufacturers provide and all these things are safe. They're all going to you know, solve the pest problem and not harm wildlife. And 20 years later, they turn around and say, yeah, we were wrong. It, it kills everything. We're just going to withdraw it now. So it, it, it would be absolutely pointless if we just wait for the next wave of poisons to be unleashed. We need absolute, complete reform of the EPA in America and the European pesticide regulation system because we don't have a if, – if, if we claim we have a system, it's one that doesn't work at all. There was a quote in The Guardian by Professor Jerome van der Sluge at the University of Bergen, Norway. 
And mm-hmm. he said that neonicotinoids will continue to be used in flea treatments for pets and in stables and animal transport vehicles, which account for about a third of all uses. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say environmental pollution will continue. Yeah, but that's that's insignificant on the scale of 200 million acres of American land saturated with neonics for the corn crop and the cotton crop and the wheat crop every year. Um, you know, it is bad that they they may be phased out on dogs because I think children being exposed to them by padding and rubbing dogs is is not a good thing. But um, this this is a it is a major major step forward. We you know the NGOs who fought this have you could claim they've won. Ninety eight percent of the battle has been won, and there are some small hang hangovers that need to be dealt with. But it's a major major step forward. It really is. But that shouldn't diminish the fact that we've you know eight um, percent was it eight percent of all bird species in the entire world are now at risk of extinction. And in Europe, we have lost on farmland, we've lost up to 90% of all individual birds have disappeared from our farmland in the last 30 years. And it's no different in America. We've been living in in a completely toxic environment, not just because of neonics, but the herbicides, the fungicides, and the whole gamut of what they are pouring onto the land. It's completely out of control. Now, speaking of the widespread use, There was another quote that I'd like to mention, and this is by Guy Smith, who is the deputy president of the UK's National Farmers Union. And he Mm -hmm. said, the pest problems that neonicotinoids help farmers tackle have not gone away. There is a real risk that these restrictions will do nothing measurable to improve bee health while compromising the effectiveness of crop protection. Now, this is something that's a very big issue here in America. So, Tom... Mm -hmm. Can you share with our listeners why this is a very big concern in America and if you could also bring up some of the issues that have been occurring regarding the relationship between beekeepers and growers? I'd just like to make the point that uh, they found in Europe that these restrictions on the neonicotinoids did not affect production and, and in fact, some of the commodity crops show showed better production without the neonicotinoids than they did before the ban. And we're seeing the same thing here in the United States. There have studies that have come out in the last two or three years, and some of them recently, that have showed little or no improvement in yield for the major commodity crops of corn and soybeans from the use of neonicotinoids. And it's it gets to something that I've said a number of times, which is that This is uh, marketing, not agronomy. This is salesmanship, and and farmers have been put into a position where they must use these products because the chemical industry has monopolized the seed business. So the farmers have no choice, really. They're stuck with this technology, and the beekeepers suffer because we're losing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of crops every, or colonies every year because of exposure to these chemicals. And as Graham said, it's not just the bees that are suffering. It's the birds, it's the freshwater invertebrates, it's the fish, it's the whole lower level of the food chain. We have some people who 
on a global level, are talking about the sixth extinction. And the neonicotinoids are a major contributor to that phenomenon. Just to reinforce the point, the, the main thing neonics were used on in this country was oilseed rape, which you call canola, the, the yellow mustard flower that produces oil. And um, the, Mr. Smith of the National Farmers Union, when they put a partial ban on neonics, they, they were banned from use on canola in 2013. And they said, oh, the entire canola crop's going to collapse. Britain's going to lose billions of pounds in, in uh, income. And uh, the, the entire farming industry is going to collapse. The next harvest, they had a bumper harvest. More oilseed rape was uh, harvested than had ever been harvested in history. And the, the following four years have not been much different. Uh, so farmers, I think, are beginning to wake up that they've been conned. You know, See, if, if you grow the same crop every year in the same field, corn, 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 you build up the pest burden to an unacceptable level. If you rotate the crops and use corn one year, cotton the next, cabbages the next, potatoes the next, and so on, the, the, the pests that go with each crop can never get a hold because they, you know, they, they, the corn pests wake up one year and go, oh, there's cabbages this year. We can't eat that. So those techniques go back centuries. We know, you know, farmers know how to do that stuff. Um, and there's been studies done by Christian Krupke, uh, University, uh, I'm not sure which, Chicago, I think it is. Purdue. Um, Purdue. Sorry, Purdue, yeah, where he planted 500 acres of corn with, treated with neonics and another 500 acres that wasn't, and he showed no economic benefits. And he's done it for a number of years in a row. So... It's all a con. It's marketing, as Tom says. Graham, in your opinion, do you think that this will influence the EPA in America to make more changes that will actually benefit the pollinators as opposed to what appears to be industry? I think there are a number of ways it might impact America and its pesticide regulation system. If, if uh, Britain, as you know, is leaving the European Union and one vision on the horizon is that we want more trade with America so that we want a trade deal with the United States. If, it, if we go ahead and ban neonicotinoids, uh, the Americans are going to have a hard time selling grain or, oil or canola to us that is contaminated with a pesticide that's been banned in this country. So that's a potential hiccup because um, the uh, corn growers in America were selling into China and... Uh, they were selling an enormous amount of stuff. Hundreds of millions of tons of corn was going to uh, China every year. And uh, when America changed to genetically modified corn, the Chinese said, we're not taking it. And uh, so the Americans said, okay, we'll just send you the non-GM corn. But it turned out when the corn ships arrived, they were contaminated with GM crops and China refused to let them in. And that led to a lawsuit totaling well over a billion dollars in the United States. So harmonization of pesticide regulations will have to come at some point. But, uh, you know, the, the, the big question for America is, does independent peer-reviewed science stand on both sides of the Atlantic? You know, if the 27 countries of Europe accept that the 1,500 science studies done in universities all over the world are correct and true, why is it that the American EPA will not accept those science studies? Are they being honest or are they being dishonest? 
and Tom could maybe answer that better than me. Well, I I see no sign at this point that the EPA is going to respond positively to these changes at all. And in fact, right now, the EPA is considering a request by the chemical industry to approve the aerial application of thiamethoxam on 165 million acres. The, the problem here is we have no EPA. The portion of the EPA that we deal with, the Office of Pesticide Programs, is simply an extension of the chemical industry and carries out the chemical company's bidding. We're in the death grip of what I call CCC, which is criminal corporate capitalism. It's a system which considers only profit with a complete disregard to the consequences. The neonicotinoids are billion-dollar products for the chemical industry. And the only reason they're billion-dollar products is because the chemical industry has done what it does so well, which is to externalize the cost. And those costs have come by way of the uh, billions of dollars in damages that are done to the environment, to human health, to other life forms. And were those accounted for, these compounds would not be profitable. And as we talked earlier, they aren't that successful. Uh, Graham uh, talked about the Krupke study. Uh, what Krupke found was that, first of all, the neonicotinoids were unnecessary because they were directed toward the corn rootworm, which only appears in, at best, about 10% of the growing situations. So in 90% of the cases, this is a premium price that the farmers are paying for no return whatsoever. There's no increase in yield. There's no improvement in their crop. And for those 10% that have the corn rootworm, the effect is to create a pesticide-resistant corn rootworm so that it can't be controlled. This is a very sick system. And, and overall, I'm, I'm, I'm working from memory here, but is it 20 million bee colonies that America has lost since 1998? Or is it more than that, Tom? Well, you know, it's it's probably somewhere in that order, but there's a, a, a definite effort to hide these losses. The Bee Informed Partnership, for example, tries to explain away these losses and says that we're losing about 30 to 35% of our bees annually, which in itself is a disaster. But if you talk to the commercial beekeepers, what they will tell you is that for many of them, there's a complete loss of their operations in the course of a year. There's a complete turnover in their colonies. They start, for example, they start with 3,000 colonies. They lose a huge number of those. They split the remaining colonies. Some of those splits don't make it. And by the time the year is over, they have, may have replaced 120% of their base. So the actual, sorry, the actual losses are not are hidden. These are so one, of, one of the losses. one of the implications of this if, is if if international science accepts the European judgment and accepts that the science is valid, 
then logically a court in America could award costs to every beekeeper in America who's lost those 20 million hives at whatever it is, $500 per colony. And that would be probably the biggest lawsuit in American history. It's conceivable that that could happen. Well, if you look at the lawsuit that I'm one of the plaintiffs in, it's gone on for five years. In fact, I think that uh, March was the fifth year anniversary, and there were a number of, of issues raised. The court pared that down to one issue, and that was that the EPA had systematically, over a period of several years, had systematically violated federal law in the registration of 59 different neonicotinoid products. Now, what the EPA has done, along with its chemical co-conspirators, is to have dragged this out for five years and spent millions of dollars in taxpayer money to, to try to defend its right to violate the law. This is the system that we deal with. This is a criminal enterprise directed by the chemical industry. And someone should be held responsible. Well, some of them, some of these people should go to, to jail. This is Absolutely. a criminal, this is a criminal conspiracy. Absolutely. Well, it, it's in, it'll, be inter it'll be interesting to see whether someone makes the argument in the United States that this is now settled in Europe. It's settled science. It's the law. Neonicotinoids have been banned because they have been proven to kill bees and wildlife on a scale that is unimaginable. So the logic of that is that someone should be asking the EPA, if this science is so settled, why have you continued to license these pesticides in the United States when there is massive evidence that thousands of beekeepers have been driven out of business and have lost millions and millions of bee colonies worth billions of dollars? So well, the, this, the, news, sorry, this, news just this news just broke this morning. It will be interesting to see what, if any, response we get from the regulators in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think this will be very interesting to see how this plays out, especially here in America, where you know, they, the relationships are not quite the same as they are in Europe. And uh, industry seems to have more of more power here, unfortunately. So, I think it's the same power. I think it's exactly the same power. I don't know what the background politically behind the scenes is to all this, but the same kind of conspiracy over regulation is going on in Europe as it is in America over food products, drug, medicines and drugs, alcohol, tobacco. It's it's the same battle all the time that the industry has all the money, all the lobbyists and all the political power, and the poor citizens are on the receiving end of whatever they dish out. There's a, there's a distinct difference, though, between Europe and the United States in their approach to these chemicals. In Europe, they have to be proven safe before they can be released to the market. Here in the United States, it's the complete opposite. They're released to the market, and then we have to prove that they're damaging. And that's what we've been doing with the neonicotinoids and some of the other pesticide families that Graham listed earlier. 
we've had to defend against those endlessly while experiencing the losses that they produce. Well, Graham, Tom, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your views with our listeners. Well, it's a historic day and it's an important day and I only hope that the positive thing that's happened in Europe sends ripples across to America and that somebody picks up the baton over there. Graham, thanks for taking the time to talk. You're always very illuminating and uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. We face similar problems and uh, June, thank you for providing a venue for us to speak out in. Okay. Folks, please check out the companion article which will appear on theorganicview.com. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.